This is episode six of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast, at least for the time being, is to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and The Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox. To play tunes for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. What follows is the conversation that I had with Renee Baker on December 15th, 2015, in her living room in Bolingbrook, Illinois, a bit south and west of Chicago. Renee is a composer, conductor, ensemble leader, violinist, and violist who bridges the world of orchestral and chamber music with the world of jazz and improvised music. She has played in many orchestras over the years, including as principal violist for the Chicago Sinfonietta. She's founded more experimental ensembles, most prominently the Chicago Modern Orchestra Project, and she's a working member of the AACM, Chicago's legendary association for the advancement of creative musicians, which celebrated its 50th anniversary this year. The music you're hearing now is Where No One Goes by a more jazz-oriented version of the Chicago Modern Orchestra Project from the 2013 album Home Molasses. At the end of this interview, you'll hear a larger and more orchestral version of the CMLP play My Mysterious Cloud from the 2011 album Empty Vessel. To find out more about Renee, check out both ReneeBakerComposer.com and ChicagoModernOrchestraProject.org. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store. Perhaps you already have. You can also stream it at nowis.org, N-O-W-I-S.org, where you'll find information about all the tracks that I played for Renee. You can also like the Now Is podcast on Facebook. Okay, Renee Baker. person I assume who's ever the composer that is who's ever studied with both uh, uh, Varez and W.C. Handy <laughs> I assume I don't know but it's beautiful yeah. some of the thematic material reminds me very much of Coleridge Taylor Perkinson mm. who you know in his day was kind of called like the black Stravinsky mm. had he not been black he would right. have received a whole nother level of, of accolade. But this is, um, sounds very familiar, but... Yeah. Um, it's William Grant Still. Okay. Um, and the piece of, is it, And which one is this? It's called Africa. It's a symphony called um, Africa. The first, it's the first movement, Land of Peace. Africa. Now, this, I'm not sure where you found that, and I'm not <laughs> sure if this is not one of his, um... More obscure because you know his most popular symphony yeah. is the Afro American yeah, um, yeah, symphony, yeah. and and there have been some not too long. There's been a, like a revival of Troubled Island, you know, okay. um, as opera. But yeah, this definitely some openness in his writing and some thematic things that that keep coming back. Yeah, what are the thematic things? But I'm really, I'm, I'm, um, 
uh, I'd be real interested in knowing how often this is played. Yeah. William Grant still is certainly one of the most popular yeah. African American composers, but again, you got to remember this is not this is the material that people bring out for Black Employment Month. Mm. So in general, I think um, you probably have. Uh, That's a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous segue. I love his writing though. For what? Um, his lines are clean. And, and the other thing uh, that attracts me is that unless you really know that it's him, you don't get the immediate impression that it's a black right. composer. There's, right. it, it, crosses, it crosses the boundaries. And of course it's certainly classical, but um, his use of the oboe. And the dichotomy between his string writing and his brass writing. Hmm. And, th and this, these thematic themes, da dee da da, these kind of things that generally reference parts of spirituals uh -huh. or call and response right. kinds of things. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of Copeland, hmm. Copeland esque things going on in there. But I think also, sometimes it's also, you know, as a, as a black composer, there's an obvious, sometimes, effort to stay away from particularly black sounding idioms, hmm. you know, so you don't want to pander, you want to write what you want to write, you right. want your voice right. uh, to be heard. And this is obviously, obviously his voice. He studied with Verez and who else? Oh, W.C. Handy. <laughs> I mean, he studied, I'm sure, with plenty of other people, but yeah, that's just the incongruous combination of people. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. But it does have, you know, it has, for something done in the 1930s, it really has a, a joyous kind of nature to it because you know in this country what we were still under hmm. in the 1930s. Yeah. Well, uh, what, uh, who's the group? Uh, it's actually being led, it's the Scratch Orchestra, it's being led by the composer. This is the first recording of it. You're not talking about the Scratch Orchestra of Chicago. No, I think that this... I think oh, you're talking about Cornelius Cardew's Scratch Orchestra. That's right, yeah. It's Cornelius okay. Cardew. I was going to say, because... So, is this part of uh, The Great Learning? It is, yeah. Uh, it's, Which uh, paragraph uh, is Paragraph this? two. Okay. Yeah. I, I believe it's the first recording. Uh, it's 71, and it's um, it's led by Cardew, so they may have yeah. performed it before. Um, okay. <laughs> Why do you laugh? I adore Cardu and I adore his philosophies. Yeah. But um, I've done I've done a lot of studying on why that concept of the scratch orchestra disintegrated. Okay. Um, one one you know, in this kind of thing, you know, when you talk about 
you know, he, he was very interested in making a collective. Right. Okay. Collectives don't work. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I'm in a collective. Collectives <laughs> don't, don't work because as soon as feelings and stuff start getting hurt, then your music starts right. to come apart. Right. Now, I don't know who was playing percussion at the beginning of this. Yeah. But see, that's raggedy as hell. <laughs> you know, so it's hard to, to tell what. Yeah. But the singing. Yeah. Coming in, that, that led me to think about the great learning. Yeah. Um, and of course, with most of his, with most of his works, from treatise to the great learning and on, he was so open yeah. about results, about possibilities. So he wasn't one to correct right. necessarily. But in the scratch orchestra, so many people wanted to be in charge. Okay. That's why things started to fray. But um, I have a very cherished copy of the entire Great Learning score, wow. which is just, um, it's a marvelous compendium of, of the thought processes yeah. of Cardew. And are you familiar with Treatise? Uh, I've heard it before. I okay. not, I'm not, certainly, I've certainly it? never seen the score, no. Um, it's, it's marvelous, you know, yeah. because it's, again, it's 193 pages oh, wow. <laughs> of uh, total graphics, yeah. But at the time, I believe that the score was published, there were no instructions. Later, he was um, coerced into producing a handbook. Okay. But it leads me to wonder if this is what he wanted. If he yeah. got, if he got, got what he wanted, wanted. got what he wanted, got, got what he wanted, got what he wanted. Everybody had a different idea about the direction they wanted the group to go in. Right. And it's funny that later in his career, well, I mean, he didn't leave, live very long, but yeah. later in his career, he kind of turned his back on a lot of these earlier concepts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And with such a fertile mind, yeah. you know, as, as a composer, the opening, the first thing I thought was, wow, however you notated that, is that the sound that you wanted? Yeah. <laughs> Did you want it to lock? Yeah. Did you, or, you know, or was it a, a true free-for-all? Yeah. Even if he wanted it to lock, he might not have been able right. to, to rein it in. I'm always so fascinated by that. I, I feel like I, as a listener, don't really understand the relationship of graphic scores to the realization of graphic scores, so that's very... Well... The great learning, yeah. most of the great learning is not a graphic score. Okay. A lot of the great learning is text score okay. right, so and, and ideas and, and things like that. Okay. Or we could talk about graphic scores all day long. But if you're talking about his graphic score treatise, which I think is an absolute masterwork, you know, in, in, in accessing the meaning inside graphic scores, it's so deep. But it's like with, with anything. You kind of need to come at it as a believer, mm. hoping to, to glean the truths out of it. Otherwise, you're gonna spend most of your time trying to disprove the validity of, of, the, of the score. So, 
it's like with any piece of literature, if you if you access it and you say, okay, I really, f I want to get something out of this. You can and you will get something out of it. But if you come to it with more than a doubting mind and just, and just decide, okay, it's BS from the beginning, the chances are you're not going to access the composer's meanings or the triggers for you as a performer you're going to miss because you're stuck in another you're stuck in another space so it does take a certain amount of intuitive openness mm. to access and and produce music from from graphic scores yeah. but treatise is marvelous I wish I played you that time. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. No, but this is this it's this a, is good too. It's, it's interesting to uh, discuss. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And I got you to say raggedy as hell. Woo! <laughs> 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 that, that was the composer in me. Like, come on, it's just starting. Can something lock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That last piece and this piece could hardly be more different. Um, it's still a piece, arguably, maybe. Yeah. Um, but they—it's um, easy to imagine them being performed in the same hall sure. in 2015, being on the same label. Absolutely. Um, is that just a weird accident of history, or are they in some sense in a similar tradition, if not the same? It's marketing. Yeah. Okay. It's—it's it's nothing more. Um, one of the one of the things that um, I think has helped uh, my orchestra to thrive is the fact that we don't observe boundaries. Yeah. Um, what I want is that whatever we play, it has to be well executed because you're executing it for an audience that you want to come back a second time. Right. So what if it's this, if it's a graphic score, the great learning, if it's Barry Guy's scores or, or whomever, as a composer, you have to think about what what you're trying to say, but you have to think about the audience and what they're going to receive and what kind of experience they're going to have. You want it to be pleasant. Even if it's shocking, you want it to be pleasant. So I think something like this, well, first of all, I don't know how long this is, but it's already too long. Yeah, it's the 10 more minutes of it. Because the idea, yeah. if it doesn't develop any more than this, yeah. this did it, did it go where he wanted? Or could he, was he able to steer it? Mm. Just because you're in front doesn't always mean that you're getting the product that you want or that you're able to steer it. So, whew, even in minimalism, yeah. there must be be directional yeah. interest. Yeah. This is why Philip Glass's stuff works. Mm -hmm. Say what you want about it. Yeah. It takes you somewhere. Yeah. Steve Wright, his stuff, the same same thing. Um, I've I've purchased CDs that had absolutely one tone for forty minutes. Yeah. Okay. Well. You got me once. <laughs> you got that You got me once. Yeah. And I listened to your 40-minute glissando. Yeah. You know, the ultimate in micro yeah. tonality. 
but I'm not gonna listen to it but one time. Yeah, yeah. Because I paid for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this is this is this is great to hear. Well, who knows? I'm going to be stumped with a lot of these. Yeah. But yeah. I've heard them. So who? What's who's the ensemble? Uh, it is the uh, the Marian Anderson String Quartet. Wait a minute. Okay. That's not a bland, is it? No. I don't. Let me tell you if you want. It's uh, Alvin Singleton. Oh, yeah. Wow, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Why? That's also someone that, when you're talking about in the vernacular of black composers, mm -hmm. you're talking about a name that's known but within a very, a very small jar. Yeah, that may be why I know. <laughs> yeah, because how ironic, of course, is the Marian Anderson String Quartet that's, true. that's playing it. Mm -hmm. You know, so again, we're, we're, we're still talking, which is kind of good, you know, for me. We're talking about music that exists in pockets. Mm -hmm. In pockets. Now, I know that the... the 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 Anderson String Quartet does a ton of educational hmm. things. I'm I'm not sure where their residency is right now. I know they were in Texas. Okay. Um, and so I'm sure this has been honed. And and as someone who's played in many you know quartets that were integrated, hmm. you know you try to give a wide berth so that you get a chance to get some of these composers included. Hmm. Alvin Singleton, Dorothy Rudd Moore, Kimo Williams, Regina Bayaki, uh, Tanya Leon, who's of course a bigger name, but yeah. You've, you've, you've chosen some gems, but you're actually, ch you, so far you've chosen gems that the general public would know nothing about. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> uh, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Most of, most of the public, if you're not, in classical music or directly interested yeah. in the vernacular of black composers, you're not going to know yeah. William Grant Still. Um, you definitely are not going to know who Cornelius Cardew yeah. is. And you probably aren't going to know who the Marian Anderson String Quartet is yeah. either. You may know who Marian Anderson is. Right. But I, but, but I love, you know, the, the fervor which with, with which they play this, but... Um, this is probably one of the more interesting Alvin Singleton works. Okay. But he's um, kind of one of those unsung, um, no one wants to be thought of as just a, as a black composer. Sure. Yeah. But face it, that's where things get plunked. So if people are looking for those special gems again to play during Black History Month or whatever. And how sad for me that this isn't Kronos. Mm. That this isn't Ethel or Jack or Fifth House 
or Eighth Blackbird or mm -hmm. any one of those, any chamber group or whatever that could access more of this kind of music. Mm -hmm. Kudos to John Zorn though. <laughs> I remember a few years back, um, I ran into Alvin at this um, Jazz Composers Orchestra Institute. And at the time I was in the Chicago Sinfonietta and um, we just had a little conversation about why Sinfonietta had never played any of his music. Uh -huh. And I said, you know, I'm a principal violist. <laughs> You know, I don't make those decisions, but there's just not enough groups around willing to walk into this territory. And as you can hear, it ain't that dangerous. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's not that dangerous. But again, we are still in America. That's true. The, the little attention is paid to the beautiful things that come out of... Um, the creative minds of black composers. I know, I'm kind of stuck there myself, but I mm -hmm. do, I, I do manage to get exposure, it's hard. Yeah. But, and I know that, that Alvin Singleton faces the same struggles that any person of color that's writing serious music yeah. faces. Because yeah. you're writing, you're writing for strings, you know, you're yeah. not writing for saxophones and doing the, the jazz thing. So yeah. you, you've already sentenced yourself to a much, much smaller specter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what makes you laugh? Is this Julia Miller? It's not. Okay. I'm listening to the guitar. But I haven't heard enough of it yes. to identify. This is a pretty sedate start for her. Yeah. She goes a little more into outer space in about a minute. Is Jeff Parker on this? It's Jeff Parker, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he actually, That's okay. That's in his solo, he uses pedals in a way that reminds me of Julian Miller. Gotcha. So, yeah, okay. Okay. When you came to this, this world of music, do you, from coming from worlds of orchestral music, do you hear something like this differently? I didn't at first. Yeah. Um, it, it took a while. Um, because... And I've said this a few times before. When when you listen to the execution of of things, especially in the string playing, which is was my primary orientation, I heard a lot of a lot of stuff that my teachers said never do. Right. 
you well, know, like what she does here, for example. Well, what, well, you know, what, what, what wind players do is neither here nor there for me in my world because what they're, as long as they're able to use the entire vocabulary of the instrument, that's fine. And of course, my initial contact with Nicole was as a classical flute player. Mm -hmm. But of course, she's innately able to do anything she wants on the on the on the flute. She's playing a little more so like what? Josh Abrams on bass. Uh, it's Harrison Benka. Harrison, Nikki, Jeff Parker. Yeah. And yeah, do you want to guess the drummer, or should I tell you? Let's see. No, don't tell me. Okay. He does never have a solo or anything, but you know he's going the whole time. Here's, here's Jeff's weird solo. Is it? It's, it's not Chad. It's not Chad. Let's see if it's Trap. Is it Mike B? No. Or is it? Avril Rock. On the kit? Yeah. But yeah. Jeff comes in like he's some like outer space Derek Bailey kind of thing here. Volcano radar. <laughs> what? That's Julia's group. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's Volcano Radar. Oh, I don't know. I don't actually know. I've seen her play, but I've never, I've yeah, never seen yeah. her group. Wow. Well, you know, the, 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 the whole definition of creative music is so huge. Yeah, of course. It, it's so huge. And where people place themselves, I find often, is about how you want to be marketed. Right. You know, if you play that squeaky wheel music, and someone identifies it as jazz, you think you're jazz, and you want to be sold as jazz. Sure. You want to be sold as whatever you can sell as sure. very often. So, now, I've never, I've never heard this particular album. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's great. Local, but not recently. I need to hear a few more riffs okay. from that violin. Is that James Sanders? No. Yeah. So to give you a hint, it's 1975. And what were you conveying with you just did a cool little drum thing. What was that supposed to? Convey? No, I'm just. The, the, there's very little relationship between what's happening here and here. I was going to ask you about the relationship if you hear anything. None. None? Oh, okay. <laughs> but, which is cool. It obviously frees up the violin. But 75. Yeah. Who could this be? The tone's a little clean for Leroy Jenkins. But it is Leroy Jenkins. It is Leroy Jenkins. He does do a little more sawing later on. Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that the tone's a little cleaner than some of the stuff that I've heard. Yeah. Um, Leroy Jenkins is one of the first violinists that I listened to. Okay. Josh Abrams gave me a whole like, a stack of like CDs, string players to listen to. Michael yeah. White, Stuff Smith. Billy Bang, Leroy Jenkins, 
It's all I could do to get through it. Really? And listen to them. Because remember, come on now. You're taught every tone. When you touch that instrument, every tone has got to be beautiful. Yeah. So I'm hearing. Wow. I'm, but but this is like an immersion, an immersion in, mm -hmm. yeah. in yeah. craziness. And so I remember talking to Josh, and I, and I, I, I just couldn't access it, and Leroy was one of the first. I tried so hard And what did you hear? Listen. How did, what about Leroy turn you on? It, it, took, it took a lot of listening. Yeah. It, and, and I found that the difference with, with classical, I didn't have to look for anybody's voice, because you weren't to be developing a voice within the context of sitting in an orchestra. Right. But for a violinist, to come out of that culture, out of that AACM culture, yeah. to establish a solo voice, which was primarily being done by the winds and the brass and yeah. whatever, was remarkable. And it, it took some listening. Then I realized he's got not only ideas, but he's got staying power. Mm -hmm. But even right now, I had to get past the technique. I had to get past what I was, the imperfections is what I had to get past. Yeah. Once I could get past that, then I could hear direction mm -hmm. and the creative process happening spontaneously. Of course, with these ideas, there's this wandering going on so you can tell there's like spontaneous combustion going on mm -hmm. which many of us string players have to access I'm uh, not sure what do you mean precisely by spontaneous combustion I'm sorry what do you mean by spontaneous combustion you have to you have to pull stuff out right away okay. that's that's of interest yeah. right then right um you notice he lands very little he lands very little on pitches I mean for, for any length of time. Yeah. So part of this, to me, what he's imitating is the success that saxophone players and wind players and trumpet players have. They have a different kind of facility in getting around and making lines clean and fluid. It's, it's hard to do that on four strings. But he's managing. But sometimes he's gotta land on something. Yeah. So you hear, Yeah. Breathe. Yeah. Not a lot of landing there. But this is, it, you know, in, 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 in my mind, this is the, sometimes the constant only thing I said, vomiting that you get from some saxophone players. Sometimes they just, they don't, not only do they not breathe, they don't give the listener a chance to breathe. Right. right. You know? And so, and then there's this thing about getting house when you're in the middle of these performances. You know? I know what that means. Yeah, yeah. You just play until you get them to interrupt you or yeah. make noise. 
the thing is, you want to be sure when your solo is over that you get the biggest amount of applause or applause. So sometimes, honestly, I come away from performances and I'm waiting for the person with the broom to walk across the stage to brush up the entrails <laughs> and blood and guts that have been uh, left yeah, yeah, as yeah. people... You don't want to think people are competing. You yeah. want to think people are making making mm-hmm. music. Right. But you know, that would be t- entirely appropriate to have someone come and pick up all the body parts left on stage. Right. <laughs> the vo- volume is key. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you're talking about the brass and the winds, because very often what you're hearing is not necessarily great music. What mm-hmm. you're hearing is force. Yeah. You're hearing volume. Mm-hmm. You're hearing tension, you know, because they can make all kinds of crazy sounds that a string instrument without a million, you know, processing mm-hmm. things um, just won't make. Just won't make, yeah. It sounds like something I would write. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. 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 It's funny. It does. It sounds like me, but... (laughs) I wish I could capture the faces that you're making on the the recording. (laughs) Who's the bass player? Uh, The bass player is Wilbur Morris. I don't know anything about it. It's a big group. So this is 83. And this is something I've never heard, but it sounds so much like my own writing. Who's the group? Uh, so it's Billy Bang, uh, a composition by Billy Bang. Okay, then this is all rolling in there together. Okay. Gotcha. It's, I think the only album of his that I've heard is the Vietnam album. Mm-hmm. The more recent one from the, yeah, yeah. And what's amazing about that is when I first started improvising, um, many critics, um, I was lucky enough to, to actually be getting some reviews, but the comment was, she sounds like Billy Bang. Oh, yeah. With all the double stops. Yeah. And the... Yeah. One one comment said if she did enough double stops to call up Billy Bang. Okay. That, that kind of thing. And that was one of the... One of the voices that I listened to that helped to give credibility for me to what strings were doing in this genre because you know you have, you have cellos making inroads you have some violas 
violist making inroads, but violin has always been kind of the one on the edge where everybody's been trying to make it something. Everybody from Noel Pointer, John Lou Ponti, to Regina Carter. I mean, Stefan Stefan Grappelli. Sure. You know, it's all, but it's all, it's all, it's licks. I mean, it's jazz. Yeah. So I had to categorize it in my mind. So that playing is very different for me than than what he's doing. This is out. Right, this is definitely out. Yeah. This is out. But that's in for me, but right. that's out. Right. That's ex- and and so obviously listening to this kind of thing has permeated what um, about your style of, of, of composing pieces does this remind you of? Um, well, you know, honestly, it goes completely across the board. When I think about the first time that I sat down to write an actual symphony mm-hmm. that was going to incorporate, you know, you know, we all try to use everything that we know, but I'm thinking about how am I going to bridge the gap between the known, which classical is. I mean, face it, I mean, it uses certain you know, techniques over and over again, we can change them a little, but bringing it to creative music under, under that umbrella of the AACM, which I operate under, and with tacit permission from John Cage, mm-hmm. everything was fair game. So what I knew of tonality and atonality and harmony and melody and rhythms and polyrhythms and all this, these were all rules that I had accessed. But now, in my creative process, I could use them or not use them. So when I hear this kind of thing, he's got motifs that have nothing to do with jazz. Mm -hmm. They're, They're very classical. What, what, how many millions of times has that kind of rhythmic motif occurred in classical music constantly? So for me, in writing the through composed works, I, I certainly use classical motifs of all kinds and place them inside the creative music mm-hmm. context. Often, what am I changing? Maybe I change the tonality. Maybe I change the feel, the rhythm. Maybe I change the number of meters that are going on at the same time. Not in an attempt to confuse, but in an attempt to express uh, uh, something different. But so whether I'm doing through composed, I could produce something similar to this whether I'm doing graphic scores. I can still produce similar uh, works because in just working with musicians over these last almost 10 years, you know, I've developed um, a gestural conducting style that allows me to use or not use music to access solos, to access ensemble playing, um, to still give a cohesion to the composition, whether the composition is on paper or not. So in this, 
in Billy Bain's work, he's actually taking you on a journey because he doesn't stay in any one place too, too long. Right. Which is a real great characteristic for me of composition. Now, I know there's a rule of thumb that's kind of unwritten, but I am not interested in the head. I'm not interested in A, B, bridge, A and out. Yeah, yeah. And this is what, honestly, this is what I hear a lot of around me. You know, um, it's so uninteresting to me. And it smacks of a song. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely doesn't feel like a song. No. I started it over, by the way, in case you're wondering. Yeah. This is right. not a song. Yeah. This could be a multi-movement piece because it takes you through different tempi, whatever. So I'm not a songwriter. I'm yeah. not a tune writer. Yeah, this is definitely more of a suite. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And many, many of my earlier works are entitled suites, sonatas, mm -hmm. yeah. that kind of thing, because I just felt that there's a lot of material to exhaust. And I'm not trying to make everybody leave humming one one little right. snippet, one little right. tune. Like right. I said, I'm definitely not a tune writer. Yeah. So this is more in my vision. So I'm going to listen to this. Okay, know the, who's the violinist? Uh, India Cook. In, I know India, okay. okay. I know India is. Okay. And it's her piece. This is the first thing I've ever heard by her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you just knew the name? Yeah. Because I, I know she's out on the West Coast. Yeah. I know she didn't answer emails. <laughs> um, but you know, <laughs> yeah, got yeah, that yeah. black woman thing going on. Another string player. Let's not answer. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to comment. No, no, no. But it's just like, yeah. So I. Okay. So. So she's got a group out. Probably this is probably a group out west. Yeah. Yeah. Is that George Lewis? It is George Lewis, yeah. Yeah. How did you identify just his, his, his style? Yeah, right. Yeah. Because he 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 moves faster on trombone than any trombone player I've ever heard. Ever. Yeah. His style is instantly recognizable yeah. to me. Yeah. I wouldn't have recognized her style because I've never heard her. <laughs> I, I dig her playing. I mean, now that I'm hearing it. Yeah. You know, the vocabulary for the violin is still developing. Yeah. Extended techniques are still developing. You're talking about an instrument that still has kind of been relegated to certain technical things. Yeah. Now, now we've got a whole new school of people who are playing the violin who wouldn't know a pitch if it bit them in the butt. Mm -hmm. They only do noise. Right. Only do noise. Only do noise. So that's a whole nother, that's another school. But the difference in what I'm hearing here with, with India, she's totally buried. Mm -hmm. Even from the beginning. It's peeking out to me because I'm a string player. So I'm listening for the occasional, you know, thing yeah. to stick out. 
but she's totally buried. Yeah. So that speaks to me of a kind of safety thing, hmm. which where I don't go. Yeah. Um, I play, and and I let the uh, producer turn me down. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Turn turn me down. But my line is going to be present. Yeah. She's comping. Yeah. That's not soloing. I mean, it's yeah. there were a few little things, but it's now look. That's good. But still. Yeah. Yes. This is closer to what I do. But also, sometimes it speaks to what the producer thinks of as important. Because mm -hmm. the violin, and don't talk about a viola, mm -hmm. you, you get so buried in the texture. It is a trio, yeah. I don't know that I ever hear. I know it's early in the process, but is that here and now? Yeah. out of that high register. I mean, I recognize her improvising style yeah. and the harmonics. And also, because, um, you know, in many of the playing settings that we're in, there are similar improvising things that we do that... What are the things? Yeah. Uh, certain, just te certain techniques um, that I hadn't heard her do before and as, as a result of just you know, working together. or dumping with her it's solid yeah it's in you know and in tune <laughs> and I love Maz's playing she's yeah. she is absolutely incredible and they they work together so I hear they sound like something very very different like this. than Billy Bain, because he used different textures, easier to do than you. And in order to make some sure. of those textures and things work, you gotta take something out sometimes. And for the most part, for the because there's only three of them, they're playing almost playing almost all the time. Mm -hmm. Even though some of them, 
two of them take background and let someone else do solo. But it, it's a very different effect from the Billy Bang that ensemble. I don't know how many bodies were in that ensemble. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the bulk of my activity is really not even with people in Chicago. And it's with ensembles and things of my own making. The big the biggest difference is I don't do tunes. You know, I nothing against them. It's just I think there's enough tunes in the world. The tunes and songs are generally designed to get radio play. You know, they're they're encapsulated three, four minute yeah. things. Most of the things that we record, honestly, the shortest thing that we've done, Jenny's about 25 minutes. When you're saying we, this My is... My ensemble, Chicago Modern Orchestra Project, right, right. or any of the smaller groups. Right. We play until the music's played out. Right. And even if it's a multi... I, 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 I use movement loosely, uh, because if you're talking about direction, um, we play until the ideas are exhausted or we think we've, you know... So one of the CDs that uh, we have out on Pani Rosas, when we um, sent the material in, uh, it's also called The Awakening. Oh. And um, one cut is 25 minutes, the other cut is, I think, 49 minutes. And I didn't want to chop it up. I wanted people to have the experience of being there at the concert, just in, you know, enjoying. Will it get radio play? Probably not, unless I decide I want to chop it up. And I don't want to approach music. Me personally, I don't want to approach it in capsules. Um, I grew up with capsules. I grew up with Bird Bacharach mm -hmm. capsules. I grew up with Jackson 5. Mm -hmm. A, B, C, and you know, I grew up, we all, we grew up with capsules. Mm -hmm. That's not how I want to create. So that's why I like symphonies, that's why I like sweets. Sonatas, I like journeys. Tunes and songs bring you back. Um, because it's safe. And I just, I just don't, you know, don't do that. So will I ever have anything recognizable that people can hum? Maybe. But it's just, it's just another way of working um, for me. I'm influenced by everything that I hear, though. I mean, I love... You know, working in ensembles with, you know, with Tamika and Nikki and Josh and Jovia and Shirazette, you know, whoever I access and all, of course, all of the lovely, lovely talented people in the AACM, many of whom have lent, you know, talents to projects of mine because, you know, we believe in what each other's doing. Is it similar? Nope. Mm -hmm. I know George Lewis just did an opera in October, but I premiered an opera at the MCA in May with loads of AACM people, in addition to people from my orchestra. I think it was a really beautiful marriage of classical and creative, and it worked. The critics thought so, and the audience thought so. But could you walk away humming anything? No. Yeah. But you could walk away with a firm idea of what you just experienced. <laughs> ¶¶